well, this morning we're going to be starting a new series, and I'm, we're going to be opening up the book of Mark chapter uh, 15. So if you just want to go there now uh, and find your place there, be uh, reading it here in a few minutes. Uh, we're starting a new series today called Beyond the Bio. Have you ever met someone who is a famous person, a fam- someone who is famous? It's interesting how, you know, media, television gives you a certain impression of someone. If you meet a famous person face-to-face, even if it's for a small moment, you kind of get a different impression after you meet them face-to-face. The same is true um, if you go to a concert, at least this is true for me. I've never been a big concert goer, you know, I'm not really into the music scene, but my wife is, and so she loves going to concerts, and on occasion we've gone to concerts, and I have to say that even though I'm not big into certain types of music, if I go and I see a band perform live, it makes a big difference. I'm really into the music after that. Being in that physical space, being in the presence and having that tangible experience of something helps me to not only learn more about whatever it is I'm experiencing, but it gives me a window that I otherwise wouldn't be able to have. And so this series called Beyond the Bio is really in that same vein, that anybody can teach you the information about God. Anybody can give you the list, well, God is this way and God is this way. We can inform you all that we can about God. But the purpose of that information is for you to experience it, to have an experience of God. You see, the ancient peoples, they they knew this really well. We're we're modern sort of Western minds, and, and we think of information, we think of knowledge in terms of information. If we want to know something, where do we go? We go to Google, right, or Siri, Siri, tell me something, you know, or, okay, oh, fine, Alexa, you know, whatever it might be, right? And we want the information given to it. That's how we think about knowing something. But in the ancient world, there were a lot of people, most people were illiterate. Most people were not schooled. And so when they talked about knowing something, they they talked about knowing something because they experienced it to be true, And that's what we find specifically in the Old Testament was originally written in ancient Hebrew. And the word to know is yada. And to know, whenever they spoke that word yada, it was not just an an informational knowledge, it was an experiential knowledge. They knew something to be true because they experienced it to be true. And so the testimony and the witness that we get from the scriptures is that we can know God, but not just knowing about God or keeping God at an acquaintance or Facebook friend level, but to know God personally, to experience God tangibly. God is offering that to us. So we wanna walk through that over the next four weeks, talk about that, walk you through that, and hopefully you will feel the call and the draw to be closer and to experience God in a much more tangible way than maybe you have uh, before. So beyond the bio, uh, Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 33, is uh, part of a story that might be a little familiar to you. And I'll read to 39. It says this. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, 
Eloi, lema sapachtani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Verse 37, then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. This story might be familiar to um, all of you, but what I want to focus on here today is that little bit about the temple curtain. It's something that we sort of read, maybe those of us that have been in church a long time, we read it, we kind of know that that's what happened when Jesus died, but maybe haven't really dived deep into what it actually means. Well, it begins really with what the people of God believed over the years about Israel, about Jerusalem, and about the temple. You see, Israel was a nation But not just any nation, it was God's nation. It was God's people. And where they, the geographical location, the land that they they were promised and later uh, lived in was God's land, God's nation. And Jerusalem was the capital. And it wasn't just any city. It was God's city. It was the city where God lived. This This is what they generally believed in the ancient Jewish world. But it wasn't just the city of Jerusalem, that there was an actual house that God lived in. It was the temple. It was the place where God dwelt. And so when you had all of the worship times and all of the expressions of faith, the people would travel into the city and they would go specifically to the temple in order to worship because that's where God was. But it wasn't even just the temple that was God's house. That deep inside the temple, there was a room called the Holy of Holies. And that room contained the Ark of the Covenant, which was uh, before the temple, which, which was the structure of the very presence of God. And the, the Ark of the Covenant had a lid, and the lid uh, doubled also as a sacrificing altar. And there was a sacrifice that took place in the Holy of Holies once per year, uh, a holiday that we know today uh, in, the, in the Jewish faith as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And not, only, uh, not any person could, could go into the Holy of Holies in this most sacred place where the presence of God dwelt and, and lived. It was the high priest, only one person, And that high priest needed to be purified and cleansed. Not everybody could just go into that room. That room, that most sacred, that most holy place where God lived was separated by a giant curtain, by a veil that we know as the temple curtain or the temple veil. And if you want to read more about it, make a little note. Uh, There's all kinds of details as to how it was to be constructed. We read in Exodus chapter uh, 26. 
And all of the, the curtain, the curtain was a structure to signify something that was very important to the belief system and to the understanding of how to treat something sacred and holy, and that is separation. In fact, the very word holy in, in Hebrew is to, is to be set apart. This idea of separation, the way people are trying to make sense of how a most holy God, an almighty, perfect God, a divine being could take up residence in the same space as mortal humans, sinful people, people that messed up. How could the sacred and the secular be in the same spot? It's like oil and water. They, they just can't mix. And so separation was a huge part of, of how people understood God amongst the people. In fact, when it came to the Passover feast, because Israel was so spread out in the time of Jesus, it was very common because it was so expensive to travel into Jerusalem that little villages scattered all throughout the Greco-Roman world, they would designate one representative to go and travel to Jerusalem on their, on their behalf. No, it was not expected that God would come out to those villages, but you had to go to that most holy place. Separation was so important. In fact, with the high priest, there was some thought that developed along the years with this one sacrifice on Yom Kippur that, that perhaps the, the high priest, if the high priest is not cleansed properly or there, there's something still lingering that, that the, the, pre, the high priest has not cleansed himself of, well, he could go into that most sacred and holy space and he could die because anyone who faces God would die. And they thought very practically at this point, well, okay, well, if the high priest dies, who's gonna get him out? So what they decided to do is they started tying a rope to the ankle of the high priest just in case. He would die in the Holy of Holies and they would be able to drag the body out. Separation is huge. And we get that. We understand that the things that are valuable, the things that are sacred, we just don't expose them for all people. If you go to, for example, if you go to a museum or an art gallery, things that are high-priced items, Oftentimes, they're not things you can tangibly experience. You don't pick it the, the frame up and look at it and touch it. I can remember uh, my wife Amanda and I, we went to, to Rome. And uh, one of my favorite parts of, of being a tourist in Rome was to see the Sistine Chapel, which everybody knows was painted by the famous ninja turtle Michelangelo. And so what they do, and if many of you could attest to this, so what they do is they corral you um, by groups and they bring you to a, sort of a waiting room and they go through all of the instructions. And by now, everybody knows when it comes to ancient art, what is the one rule that you, that you have to follow when it comes to ancient artwork is don't, what? Don't take a flash photo. And so they go through all the instructions and then they finally let us into this, wow, this amazing, I, I mean, the detail. And you only have a certain time limit, so you're kind of feeling pressured to, to cover and to look at all the things up there. And then what do you know it? Some tourists, they just can't help themselves. And so you see these flashes, and this, I 
felt this, this violation. How could you do such a thing? This is, see, this is what happens when you let these tourists in here and they just, you know, they run amok in, a, in this sacred space, right? So we understand the things that we hold dear, we don't expose them for everybody. We hide them away, we protect them, we put barriers, we make people stand at a distance so that they can appreciate it at least, but not experience it. Well, Jesus didn't come to be appreciated. The love of God that we sang about was not a love that we can appreciate from a distance. That doesn't make any sense. So when Jesus came on this earth and he lived the life that he lived and he died the death that he died and the temple curtain was torn in two, what that means is that separation, that distance between divine and human, sacred and secular, is no longer, God has left the building. And God is so powerful and so almighty that no sin, no secular thing, no powers of this world could ever taint or corrupt the very essence and the power and the presence of God. And so now God is on the loose. (laughs) And he's going into people's homes. And he's reaching into people's hearts. Even the most despised even those that you would say are so far away from God, now, through that torn veil, we have full access to God. Full access to God. There are no obstacles. We can experience God. Even if you're a Steeler fan, you can experience God, I'm a little, I'm a little jazzed today about this season, you know. We have full access to God. And that is enough every day to wake up in the morning and say, thank you, thank you. Uh, a theologian and uh, apologist that I really admire is Ravi Zacharias. And, and here's what he says. He said, there are no unique postures and times and limitations that restrict our access to God. My relationship with God is intimate and it is personal. The Christian does not go to the temple to worship. The Christian takes the temple with him him or her, with him or her. Jesus lifts us beyond the building and pays the human body the highest compliment by making it his dwelling place. The place where he meets with us. Even today, he would overturn the tables of those who make it a marketplace for their own lust, greed, and wealth. What this quote illuminates for us is not just the blessing and the joy and the freedom and the life that we have in in full access to God in a personal relationship with God, but what this quote also signifies, that very last line, is that sometimes maybe inviting Jesus in is a little bit more than we bargained for. (laughs) That as we let Jesus in, as much as we experience the the freedom and the joy and the peace, everything that comes in experiencing God, it also means that we're letting Jesus in to do Jesus' work within us. That cleansing, that, that transforming power. 
And sometimes that's hard. And sometimes that hurts and stings a little bit. Sometimes holding that fist is something we've gotten so used to that we forget what it means to just to let it go. And so for the rest of this time, and we're going to be talking about this full access, but for the rest of this time, what I'd love to do is and talk through a few barriers, a few places where we have attempted to sew the curtain back up, where we have tried to place our own barriers between us and God, and sometimes, many times, not even, not even recognize it. It really is a reminder, uh, reminds me of this really monumental moment that I've had in my life. After I met my wife, Amanda, we, we dated for a few months, but we were in a long-distance relationship. Uh, she was living in Bowling Green, and I was living in Painesville Township, and we were set up by an old college friend and uh, mostly had sort of a, an online or phone relationship for the longest time. And I gotta tell you, um, I, didn't, I don't like talking on the phone really long times. And so we really started to feel the strain. Some of you can attest to this. I really started to feel the strain of that distance that we had with one another. And it got to the point where we, we really liked each other, but we both knew, we came to this moment that if we were gonna get closer, that we were just, we were gonna have to make that intentional decision that we're gonna, we're gonna go for this. And so in light of that knowledge, in light of that knowing that this is our next step, we broke up for 24 hours. <laughs> for 24 hours. And what we realized, as looking back, what we realized that there were a lot of things within those 24 hours that we're sifting through. There are a lot of barriers that we were struggling with. And... I can't help but to draw some of those parallels of what we experience in those 24 hours with what we sometimes experience in our relationship with God. So I'd like to maybe talk through some of those with you. For some of us, maybe it's our belief system itself. The question is, what is your veil? What is your veil? Some of us, well, we have developed a transactional faith. And, and what I mean by that is that you've started and really maintained a business relationship with God. We evangelicals, well, you know, we, we have a habit of this, of, of doing this, where we sort of set the stage that we want you to come into a personal relationship with Jesus because out of that personal relationship with Jesus, you'll get all, all kinds of things. You'll, you'll get to go to heaven. You'll, all your problems will go away. You won't have any more of those relationship woes that you've had before. Life is just going to get better for you once you become a Christian, so why not? And so we say, yeah, I want those things. I certainly don't want to go to hell. I certainly want to go to heaven. And what happens there is that we come to faith, many of us probably have come to faith with our own personal well-being in mind. It was a personal decision. <laughs> and I've really wrestled with that over the, the growth of my own faith, and I just realized, you know, there are so many people that have come to a genuine faith 
through uh, hell avoidance or just simply wanting to get into heaven and keeping it out of their own personal interests. I, I don't want to throw water on, on those stories. But here's what I know for sure. God does not want us to, to keep us there in that belief system. Because you can't maintain a business relationship with God. If your relationship with God is, is purely on a transactional basis, you will not be drawn in closer. There's a reason why they say don't mix personal and business, right? Because when you get into a business, you always have to think, what am I going to get out of this? What is in it for me? And that's the very thing that Jesus is drawing us out of and saying, don't worry about that because what you think you need or what's best for you, look, I have something better in mind. So some of us maybe have been stuck in this transactional faith, this business relationship with God. I love the example of Mary and Martha um, Mary and Martha were two ladies that invited Jesus over and their sisters and, and Martha was the workhorse and she was doing everything that she was, thought she was supposed to do as, as hosting a, a prominent figure like Jesus and so she was busy in the kitchen getting everything ready and you know all those hospitality things and Mary was slacking. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening to his teaching and so it just sort of comes to a head and, 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 and Mary says, Jesus, aren't you gonna, re or Martha says, Jesus, aren't you going to rebuke Mary? And he said, no. This is what he says in Luke 10, 41 to 42. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from, from her. One of my favorite authors, uh, Calvin Miller, in the book uh, uh, Into the Depths of God, he says this, when we reach, oh, we, we just keep filling our lives with the same old appetite for spiritual expression, rarely stretching ourselves or expanding our horizons, but the way of the depths is better. When we reach for God in love and God reaches back, he meets us deep in the center of our existence where no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. If you have been sensing that you, your relationship with God just cannot get deeper, stuck on the surface, I wonder if this speaks to you, that you have developed a transactional belief system. Or maybe one of your barriers is simply that you're under attack by the adversary, Satan, the evil one. You know, that's what Satan wants to do. Satan makes it his business and his work to keep you separated, to keep you on the surface in your relationship with God. In those 24 hours when I was deliberating everything, I called, I, I phoned a friend, my sister, and let me just say, okay, I'm not comparing my sister to Satan here. <laughs> All right? <laughs> but my sister, you know, she was you know, giving her own advice out of her own story. Let me tell you, she was cold. Like, she would drop guys like, man. She'd be like, we're done. 
you know, and she'd just go on, you know, I was one of those that like, I had like two week long breakups, like I felt so sorry and bad. And she's like, nope, we're done. And so that was her. She's like, you just need to be done. And, and, and I, so that voice was, was ringing in my ear and I was, and you know, we have that same voice. We have those same lies, those same ways in which the evil one is whispering into our ear, whether through temptation or whatever it might be. Daniel Henderson, he says that Satan deploys his weapons of mass distraction to pull us away from going deeper in our relationship with God. It's important to be aware of the evil one's presence and what Satan is trying to do. Uh, Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 describes it this way. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against, and I love this, the strategies. Other versions say the schemes of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of un the unseen world. It's important to be aware of what the evil one is up to. He wants to keep us at the surface. Maybe that's your barrier. Maybe a barrier are your hurts. In those 24 hours, as Amanda and I did our own deliberating, we couldn't help but to feel the hurt of our past relationships. We couldn't help but to remember that we've been down this road before, we've gone through these breakups, and some now we look back and say, man, did I dodge a bullet? Did I, man, I'm so glad that I did not go down that road. Maybe this is that. And I just feel hurt. I just don't know if, if I can trust to move forward in this relationship. Now, a lot of us probably have a hard time of, of seeing that in, in terms of our relationship with God. But I bet deep down inside when we, we can recall events where we were really disappointed by God, where we really have a hard time trusting because in the past, God had let us down. And I can't give an explanation as to why, what happened at whatever time. But I do know that as we draw closer to God, it is a, a call to trust that ultimately, the big picture of things, it is a call to trust, to know that God has something better in mind for us, even beyond our past experiences, our past letdowns, our past hurts, our wounds that we've been carrying and maybe we don't even realize that we're carrying. You know, Jesus desires to get into those spaces and to bring his healing touch. It's, it's ironic because it's, those are the very things that we often become a barrier and a separation and yet God's just saying, let me get, let me get in there. Let me, let me work on that. Let me give my healing touch on those things. It doesn't have to be a barrier. In fact, if you just let me in, I'll be the one to remove the barrier. The trust in the midst of our hurts. Jesus gives a promise uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So maybe it's your hurts 
that have been a barrier for you. Um, maybe, and this is really tied to it, maybe it's, um, maybe it's your fears. When Amanda and I, in those 24 hours of breakup, we also recognized that there were, there were a lot of fears, fears of the unknown. And obviously, you know how it ended. Like, we got back together. But those fears didn't go away. I mean, looking back, when we got married, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> it is a, it's a fearful experience. Why? Because we, we don't know what's happening next. Somehow, in our relationship with God, we, sometimes we get into this mode where we expect everything to be laid out in an agenda or a neatly laid out orchestrated plan where there's no surprises, where everything is known. And that's why we say getting to know God means that you, there's things that you don't know. Experiencing God more means that you haven't experienced it yet. And when you're drawn closer, it inherently means that there is an unknown element when it comes to your faith in God. That's what we call mystery. And Jesus invites us into that mystery and says, if you come closer to me, you, you'll discover it. But don't let that unknown create fear that would become a barrier between you and God. One of the greatest, small, it's so small, but one of the greatest responses I get from either God himself or a representative of God, like an angel or, or, or someone, whenever someone experiences God in the Bible, you'll see there's an immediate reaction of fear, is there not? And what is it, almost always, an angel or a being that's representing God will say two words, fear not. I love that. Fear not. Fear not. In John um, 14, 27, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Fear not. All right, so can I tell you what happened at the end of those 24 hours? So I was praying. And since I was, a young, I was an adult, I was living in the basement in my parents' house in Painesville Township. <laughs> On an old waterbed that they had long since gotten rid of. <laughs> and I prayed. After all of these discussions, after writing down all the pros and the cons, after worrying so much, what am I gonna do in this situation? I just prayed. And God spoke to me. He said, he didn't say, this is the one you're gonna marry and have kids with and have a happy life. He said, give this one a chance. Give this one a chance. I remember it clear as day. Give this one a chance. And I think that's what Jesus invites us to do as well. Not to figure out your whole life of faith, not to figure out all the depths and the mysteries of God. Just take a chance. Take a chance. As if someone, having just gone through a first date 
is wondering if they're going to have that second date. What do they have to do? They have to take a chance. Take a chance. Even if you don't know, even if you're hurting, even if your belief system isn't measuring up and something's wrong there, even if you're feeling under attack, take a chance. That's what Jesus invites us to do. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and he will share a meal. We will share a meal together as friends. That is the vision. Jesus is knocking on the door. What are those doors for you? What are those doors that Jesus is knocking on? All you have to do is just open up and let him come in to abide and to be with the Savior. Would you stand with me and love to pray for us? And if you've been feeling some barriers with God, I just, I just invite you to just make an open palm, an open hand. That's all. Just a little posture to signal to yourself and to God, here I am, God. I'm making myself available. I am accessing the fully accessible God because of Jesus. And so, holy God, we come before you. Many of us, knowing all the information, having read the bio, but in some ways lacking transformation. Holy Spirit, do your work within us and help us to know that it's not coming to this building, this temple, this sanctuary that has given us access to you. That when we go home, when we go to work or to school, when we go out with friends, when we watch the Browns win, we know that you are there because the curtain has torn from top to bottom. No thread remains connected. Forgive us if we've put up barriers, Lord, but break them down as we invite you in. And let us truly experience you in a new and a powerful way, more than what we've ever been before. And for those of us, Lord, that have been, have been a Christian a really long time, and, and some of us, we can just remember that time long ago when we came and we experienced the full freedom in you. But, but since then, Lord, we've been, we've been wondering where you're at. Lord, let this moment be that time a refreshing in our relationship that we can be drawn deeper. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. I could just sit I could just sit and wait for all your goodness Hope to feel your presence I could just stay 
I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. I could hold on, I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe, I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never let these walls down. You have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead. Call me higher, you will call me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, where you lead me. You lead me, Lord. Yeah, I could hold on, yeah, I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside I could be safe I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home never let these walls down you have called me higher you have called me deeper and I'll go where you will lead me Lord you have called me higher So go as God's children and God's people with full access to God and Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. You are blessed and sanctified, not because you have walked into this space, but because you hold Christ within. So go with that promise, go with that assurance, go with that hope that whatever you might face, you have the power of God within. And I pray that you take that chance to dive deeper in your relationship. Amen. You're dismissed.